Hello, everybody out there in Internet Radio Land listening to my show. Welcome. How have you been over the last week? I've been okay. I was thinking about outer space. And I'm sure a lot of you have watched Joel Osteen or been to his services in Houston. And he usually begins his service, he always does, actually, with pick up your Bible, say it, repeat whatever he says, say it like you mean it. So in my show, what I do sometimes, not all the time, but I like to try to hammer home a point that we're not alone in the universe. We're stuck in this gap where we don't know if we're alone because we don't have any proof. But logic and with that gap between belief and knowledge, my friends, so it goes something like this. And I made it up myself, although I learned from other people, if you know what I mean. Here on Earth, we have such a variety of life, over a million types of insects, over 3,000 types of fish, over 10,000 types of reptiles and birds, over 9,000 types of amphibians, over 5,000 types of mammals, thousands and thousands of different varieties of trees and flowers all the hundreds of types of fruits and vegetables, if all that happened by an accident, by accident, logically, and I do mean logically, can happen anywhere in the universe. But if there's a creator, a loving creator, powerful and knowledgeable, omniscient and omnipotent enough to create all this life on Earth, then logically, again, logically, that creator would have the same power knowledge create either the same or different life like we can't even imagine or comprehend anywhere in the universe. And I do mean anywhere. So there, by logic, there is life out there. Believe in it, my friends. I need We need each other to believe in it. That way, we can evolve. Because that's what it's all about, evolution, my friends. In this show, I'm going to talk a little bit about something that's been on my mind. I'm also going to read from this book, 23 Minutes in Hell. I thought it would be appropriate with Halloween coming up. I'm also going to tell you about this horror movie I saw when I was a child that shocked me to the core, and it might shock you to the core, too. And then I'm going to end up doing a little singing, getting my singing practice in, and that should be the entire show. So to get going... The first thing I wanted to talk with you about was sports, watching sports on television. More specifically, I watched the Dodgers and the Giants play last week. I've gotten back into watching sports on television. I kind of backed away from that for a while. And of course, as you know, during the pandemic, there weren't people in the stands. And it was so sad. And I thought I would kind of jump on the bandwagon of watching them as the crowds came back into the stadium. There's 50,000, sometimes 60,000 watching football or baseball. Well, we had the National League semifinals, so to speak, between the Dodgers and the Giants. Five games. It was tied up. Two games each. Hold on, please. noise going off inside the house there. I had to close the door. So the Dodgers and the Giants were tied two games each. And in the fifth game, it was a really close game. 
one to one going into the ninth inning, and the Dodgers got a run, and it was two to one. So the Giants had their bat at the bottom of the ninth inning, and I think it was two outs. They got a runner at first base, and the next man was up. He had a two count, two strike count on him, and then. You saw the game, you know what I'm talking about. He was called on a check swing, called out on a check swing by the first base umpire. Hold on, please. Okay, the door, it opened again. And that was it. The game was over. And the replay clearly showed that the batter Check the swing. In other words, he didn't go across that plane where it was a strike. And I know that everybody in that stadium there in San Francisco, because that's where it was played, was shocked. Their season was over. Their hopes, their passion, their emotion all quenched in an instant by a call by a first base umpire who in my opinion, ruined the game. He made the wrong call. Replay clearly, without a doubt, showed that it was a bad call. And some people may say, well, that's the game. Well, no, 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 no. It's not the game. That's why we have replay, because let me explain. Those people that may be disagreeing with me. You have not only 60,000 people there in the stadium, and I know there's some Dodgers, there were some Dodgers fans there. And sports, just like anything else in this world, is evolving. You know, they worked just to replay into the NFL. It's all over the place. Well, they need to do better. There are ways. In our evolution as a species, as a civilization, we can't let these mistakes continue to happen. Why? Because it's like a hangover when you get drunk the night before. I don't drink anymore, but I used to. That stuff stays with you for days, for weeks, for months, for years. One bad call. It was a close game. It was an exciting game. People were involved with it. The passion, the emotion, all gone away by one man making a bad call. It's like we're not living in a communist society, in a democratic society. You have ways to rectify mistakes. In the Army, when I, even now, I still work for the Army, but when I was when you make a mistake, you immediately do an on-the-spot correction. That's the right way of doing things. That's what they taught us, and we still do it today as civilians working for the Army. An on-the-spot correction and is applicable to major sports. sports. That umpire at first base, he had the right to make the call, but Going forward into the future, they need to work out a way to prevent that from happening again. And I guarantee you, it will happen again in some shape or form. 
and they've already they're already knowledgeable enough to solve that problem. The replay official in the booth, the man who's looking at the game, whether it's an umpire, someone who's certified as an umpire or a referee, can make the call. And then, if it's inconclusive, then leave the judgment to the head on on the field, whether it's baseball or football. In that particular game, what should have happened in a evolved society, Jane, where we have the technology to resolve these things that before people would just dismiss as being a part of the game because it's been that way ever since. And as I mentioned, our technology is so much better now. We could even call strikes without an umpire. You know, we've seen them on television, how they superimpose the batting zone there, and they can tell which one's a strike and which one isn't. They could have some form of communication up in the booth with an official who's watching the game, and the umpire, home plate umpire, could have a, a thing in his ear, a listening device, and he could be fed the information, okay, that one was a strike, that one was a ball, and then he would have the discretion to maybe overrule that if he thought that was incorrect, because sometimes it's very close, you know, or disputable, or not really discernible, if you know what I mean. But as far as that game, I was so upset. I, mean, I didn't care who won, the Dodgers or the Giants, because I'm not a fan, but the point is that it turns off the fans. Just think of those 60,000, 50,000, 60,000 people in the stadium. Maybe not that many giant fans. Now, let's say they were turned off. I mean, me, yeah, that turned me off. I haven't watched any sports on TV since then. And I'm not the only one. I can guarantee you that. But let's say a regular, normal family buys season tickets Mother and father, they take the kids, and they spend a few hundred dollars on those tickets, they go to the game, they buy hot dogs, hamburgers, popcorn, beer, soda, whatever, and they invest maybe another fifty, seventy-five dollars in that. I know logically that those people are going to be turned off by what would have been an otherwise exciting close, hard-fought game ruined by a terrible call by an umpire, which I suppose he did his best. You know, I heard what he said. Gabe Morales was the first-day umpire. He called it like he saw it. I don't even know why first-base umpire that. The home plate umpire, can he see? I mean, it's right in front of him. So I'm asking baseball to come on. Get with it. Evolve. It's a call to action. Use technology. Give the teams the capability to challenge calls. Don't just end a postseason playoffs game hard fought with the crowd going wild by a terrible call, a man making a mistake. End the game like that. It's wrong. It is completely and utterly wrong. It left a bad taste in my mouth. And I know it did for a lot of people. I read some comments 
on the internet by people afterwards. Unbelievable. They couldn't believe it. And so we need to evolve. We need to change. If Major League Sports is to evolve, they need to find ways to review controversial calls. So come on, people, let's get with it. In our society, in our civilization, we don't encourage people to make mistakes. Now, here's me, little old me. I wasn't even a Dodger. Well, I like all teams, but I'm a St. Louis Cardinal kind of guy. I've been watching the Cardinals since 1968 when I was living in Ottawa, Canada. The 68 Cardinals team of Bob Gibson and Lou Brock, Kurt Flood, Orlando Cepeda, Steve Carlton, Tim McCarver, Mike Shannon, Dal Maxwell, Julian Javier. That was one heck of a team. They lost to the Tigers in the World Series, but I've been a fan of the Cardinals, I guess because I like the little two birds on the back, the red birds, which are pretty, you know, pretty red birds. In hockey, I'm a Montreal Canadian fan because I grew up in Canada. I always loved Montreal Canadians. I used to watch the games with my mother. She was a a big fan, too. She used to like some of the players like Yvonne Cornway, who was faster and just about the fastest skater in the National Hockey League back then. He had a tremendous slap shot and a wrist shot, too. Small guy, maybe five to six, but built, stocky, powerful. Super fast. She used to watch him and laugh. Football. Well, I was born and raised watching Canadian football. Then afterwards, NFL football in the United States. I don't really have a favorite team. I like to support the team in the state I live in, like in Texas, either the Titans or the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm really a cowboy fan, I guess you could say. And so, again, a call to action, my friends. As we go forward, please, Major League Baseball, stop this kind of thing from happening. You have the capability to do it. Don't let the hopes and desires and the money of all these people in not only the stadiums, but over the country, over the world, possibly, be ruined, dashed, because you allow mistakes to happen in games and saying that it's a part of the game. No, again, no, 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 it's not a part of the game. The game is changing, evolving. Get with it. You've got enough technology. Make sure you hire if you need to. An umpire to be in the replay booth if necessary. Have him have have authority over the calls unless it's controversial, inconclusive, you know, and then leave the discretion to the head umpire on the field, you know what I mean. Well, enough about that, my friends. I've vented. I got that off my chest. I've been talking about it, too, at work. Unbelievable. I agree with some people. Just unbelievable. People love sports. I mean, you get to see these players and they're so talented and strong with their skills being displayed, you know, and they're superhuman, if you will. 
and they bust their butts to play a good game and they fight and the competition is wonderful, you know? And I watch sometimes and it's like my heart starts beating faster and so exciting. Only to be stopped dead in our tracks, ruined by a terrible call. You know what I mean? You get me now? Now don't say it's part of the game. Please don't say that. Because I'll say no, no, no. You don't want me to do the no, 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 no. Not. One of our dogs is out there looking at me like, you okay? You okay? Something wrong? But I'm going to ban watching professional sports. I don't care if it's basketball. I've been through it before. Get involved in an exciting game. And... It's a close game, right? The wire. And all of a sudden, there's a call right there like, what? Are you crazy? This replay shows that, no, that's not the way it was. Sometimes they keep on going. I'm like, I can't believe this. Why am I even watching this game, you know? Come on. Do the right thing for the people who are interested in a close, exciting, hard-fought, competitive game taught by these men who are brilliant, talented, who have so much to show and give us, you know. Not an easy thing to get out there and play baseball on a, on a field and with a 100-mile-an-hour ball come at you, try to bat that and get it out of the way of the ball if necessary, or run across the field and jump up in the wall and try to catch a ball, or being a pitcher and... and you know, those arms, their arms, they get tired after so many years. They can only go so long. Tom Brady, look at him. He's an exception to the rule. He's 43, 44 years old and just uh, seven Super Bowls. Would it be fair to him, you know, in a close game, coming down to the wire, one bad call, and have a game ruled in the favor of the opposing team, you know? Just as an example, no, it wouldn't. So let's do the right thing, my friends. Because sports is a part of our life, whether in school, you know, it teaches young men and women to grow up and, you know, to be competitive, to be cooperative, work as a team, to share camaraderie. We don't need officials ruining games with bad calls. Am I right or am I right? They have the resources to fund instant replay. Do it. Do the right thing. Stop the madness, the craziness. We don't make mistakes and then get away with it. Forget about it. No, mistakes do not go away. We learn not to repeat them as a society. We're evolving now. We've come a long way. We're not going to take step backwards in our evolution. Why should we? Well, my friends, now I'm going to change over to that part I was mentioning before. And that is we're getting close to Halloween. And I wanted to relate to you this movie that I saw when I was very young that made such an impression on me. And it was a science fiction movie. I'm going to close my door. Hold on, please. Our dogs 
three of our dogs went out into the, okay, here comes another one. He's going to want to get in. Hold on, please. So when I was growing up in Canada, 1962 through 68, sometimes I would skip school in the afternoon. Not a good thing, huh? Um, but that's when the movies were on, usually around 12 or 1 o'clock. I remember my mother let me a few times. I think maybe after school I might have seen some of these movies. Again, or the first time, movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon or It the Terror from Beyond Space or 20 Million Miles from Earth or The Forbidden Planet. That's the one I was telling you, I wanted to tell you about. If you haven't checked that movie out, do it. It's, shocked me to my core. It scared me to my core. I was young and impressionable back then. I think nine or ten years old. Eleven years old. I'm between those years, 65, 64 through 66. And so I would walk home from school sometimes, see this really great, scary movie on, and I would say, Mom, please, I don't want to go back to school. Please let me finish watching this because I'd eat lunch and be watching that movie. No, you got to go back to school. But sometimes she acquiesced and let me watch it. In the movie The Forbidden Planet, the star of the movie is Leslie Nielsen. You remember him from the Naked Gun movies. But he's in a serious role there and does a pretty good job acting. And the movie is about this group of people in the future, in a spacecraft, I think they come from Earth, they land on this planet somewhere in the Milky Way galaxy. And there is a father and a daughter living there. I think they're the only ones on the planet. Or maybe they're, they have a house there and they've been living there for many years and there have been expeditions that were sent to the planet. And inexplicably, some of them were killed by this unseen monster. And so as the movie goes, they land on the planet and they are visitors to this professor and his daughter. And they go over to their, so they're in their house, they have food together. And this professor, not only does he have this beautiful property, but he has this laboratory where he's conducting experiments. I'm not sure what kind of a doctor he is, but he's a brilliant professor, in other words. Make a long story short, we find out in the end that this monster that all of a sudden appears occasionally was created by his mind, and it's an invisible, gigantic, maybe 20-foot-tall, half-man, half-lion monster. And in the movie, you see it when it first appears, it's climbing up the stairs of the spaceship as it's parked there, close to their house. 
and is denting the stairs as it goes up, and it goes inside and it kills one or two of the astronauts inside of the spaceship. And then later on, they set up a perimeter right after that with a force field, and it's nighttime, and they've got their radar going, and all of a sudden, the radar picks up something coming towards them, advancing quickly, and they're talking to each other through their communication. Something's coming. I don't see anything. And you see, over in the distance, the trees start falling down as it's coming towards them. And so they start firing their, like, laser beam gun. And all of a sudden, it lights up this huge creature that's, like I mentioned, about 20 feet tall, half man, half lion, and it's roaring. And it's getting closer to him, and, and one of the astronauts tries to go out there with his handheld laser-type weapon, and he gets too close, and he gets picked up, and he gets uh, crunched, you know, crushed, and thrown back on the ground. And so they're able to keep it at bay, and it doesn't penetrate their barrier. And in the end, I won't ruin it for you. You'll have to see it if you, if you want to. I, I don't like ruin, ruining movies for people, but it's called The Forbidden Planet. And that is, in my opinion, one of the scariest movies I've ever seen for Halloween coming up. But the other thing I wanted to talk with you about was this book, 23 Hell, which can be slightly on the same subject. Hold on, please. I had to turn the light on here because I'm getting ready to read. This book, 23 Minutes in Hell, is written by a, a well-known minister by the name of Bill Wise, W-I-E-S-E. One man's story about what he saw, heard, and felt in hell. I guess he was given that opportunity because he got sinned. You know, himself, he hadn't murdered anybody or raped a woman or was a sexual or physical or verbal abuser, which is usually how you can tell who goes to hell. God's jail, this is true. As sure as there's a heaven, there's a hell, my friends. Take it from me. I've learned it from other people. So he's given the opportunity to go there and see what it's like so he can come back and write this book. Logical, right? The powers that be up there determined that, okay, this guy is going to write a good book. He's a good author, and he's going to write it in a way that will influence a lot of people and get them to not do things that will wind them up in that place down below the center of the earth, in the core of the earth. Okay, hold on, another dog has come in. Twenty-three minutes in hell. So I'm going to read this chapter. He finds himself in this room, and there's a a lot of things going on down there. Of course, you're in the spirit. You know, you believe you have a spirit, right, in your body, because you know you have a spirit. Because when you dream at night, you go to different places. And with your eyes closed, you can still see, right? Those are the eyes of the spirit. And the soul is the brain of the spirit. Guarantee you, without a doubt, I know. 
not believe, I know that we all have spirits in our body. Bodies. Just like I know there are angels too. You have a spirit in your body. I have a spirit in my body. And science may not have proven it, you know, for those that don't believe until they see or touch things themselves. But sometimes, like I mentioned, you have to bridge the gap with logic. That's the intelligent thing to do. So, he finds himself in this place, and there are two demons there. On the theme of Halloween, right? These two demons are absolutely, totally terrifying. I'm going to talk about them in a read in the book, okay? Not to mention all the other things you would find in hell, like spiders and snakes slithering everywhere and pits of fire and other demons, grotesque demons and people screaming and gnashing of teeth and all that, like the Bible says, and the lakes of fire. And People don't really burn, but they're in fire. And like I mentioned, heaven is the sun, and that's a different type of fire than the fire underneath the surface of the earth. You know, where there's lava. Because there's a molten core at the center of our planet. And we can live in fire. Our spirits can live in fire. Right? Agreed? That, my friend, take it from me, from Blake. And you will know one day, on that day, you transition from this material plane to the spiritual plane. And maybe we'll see each other in heaven. And you'll say, you know what? You were right. We're living in a land of light. And it's fire. The spirit can live in the fire. Can live in fire. So anyway, this man, Bill Weiss, he finds himself in this room with these demons. So let me start reading for you. He calls it the journey. I've already shared with you the beginning of that journey on November the 22nd, 1998. That was the night I was catapulted out of my bed into the very pit of hell. My point of arrival was a cell that was approximately 15 feet high by 10 feet wide with a 15-foot depth. With its walls of rough stone and rigid bars on the door, I felt as though I was in a temporary holding area, a place where a prisoner would await his final hours before meeting a far more terrifying destiny. Isaiah 24:22 says, and they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7.27 refers to the chambers of death in hell. As I lay there on the floor of that cell, I felt extremely weak. I noticed that I had a body, one that appeared just as it is now. I told you that before in previous shows. The spirit body looks just like the material body, the physical body. Lifting my head, I began to look around. Immediately, I realized I was not alone in this cell. I saw two enormous beasts, unlike anything I had ever seen before. These creatures were approximately 10 to 13 feet tall. These towering beasts were far, far beyond intimidating. It is one thing to be threatened by someone much taller than you, but these creatures were not of this natural world. I recognized that they were entirely evil, and they were gazing at me with pure, unrestrained hatred. 
which completely paralyzed me with fear. Evil and terror stood before me. Those creatures were an intensely concentrated manifestation of those two forces. I still had no idea where I was, and I felt utterly panicked. Although I had no point of reference, no familiarity with anything I was experiencing, and no understanding of how I got here, still I was faced with the unimaginable reality that a torturous death seemed certain. These creatures weren't animals, but they weren't human either. Each giant beast resembled a reptile in appearance, but took on human form. Their arms and legs were unequal in length, out of proportion, without symmetry. The first one had bumps and scales all over its grotesque body. It had a huge protruding jaw, gigantic teeth, and large sunken-in eyes. This creature was stout and powerful, with thick legs and abnormally large feet. It was pacing violently around the cell like a caged bull, and his demeanor was extremely ferocious. The second beast was taller and thinner, with very long arms and razor-sharp fins that covered its body. Protruding from its hands were claws that were nearly a foot long. His personality seemed different from the first being. It was certainly no less evil, but it remained rather still. I could hear the creatures speaking to each other. Although I would not identify, could not identify what language it was, somehow I could understand their words. They were awful words, terrible, blasphemous language that spewed from their mouths expressing extreme hatred to God. Suddenly, they turned their attention toward me. They looked like hungry predators staring at their prey. I was terrified. Like an insect in a deadly spider's web, I felt helpless, trapped, and frozen with fear. I knew I had become the object of their hostility, and I felt a violent, evil presence such as I had never felt before and greater than anything I could imagine. They possessed a hatred that far surpassed any hatred a person could have, and now their hatred was directed straight at me. I couldn't identify what these beasts were yet, but I knew they meant me harm. I wanted desperately to get up and run, but as I lay on that wretched cell floor, I noticed that I had absolutely no strength in my body. I could barely move. Why didn't I have strength? I felt so defenseless. Psalm 88.4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pits. I am as a man that hath no strength. I knew that it was much more than physical weakness I was feeling. Indeed, it was weakness of every form. I was mentally and emotionally drained, even though I had only been there a few minutes. Most us, most of us have experienced a loss of strength and energy after intense weeping, emotional distress, or grief. 
After a time of healing, we regain that strength, though it take years. However, at that moment, I felt that there would never be a time for recuperating from that literal weight that had fallen upon me, a weight of hopeless despair. Two more creatures came into the cell, and I had the feeling that these four beings had been assigned to me. I felt as though I was being sized up, and that my torment would be their amusement. As they entered, suddenly the light vanished. It became absolutely pitch black. I had no idea why the sudden and intense darkness had begun. But I sensed that the light that had been present had been an intrusion, and that the atmosphere had now returned to its normal state of darkness. Lamentations 3.6 states, He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. One of the creatures picked me up. The strength of the beast was amazing. I was comparable to the weight of a water glass in its hand. Mark 5, 3-4 describes a man possessed with a demon with these words. No one could bind him, not even with chains. The chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles, shackles broken in pieces. Instinctively, I knew that the creatures holding me had strength approximately 1,000 times greater than a man. I cannot explain how I perceived that bit of information. Then the beast threw me against the wall. I crumbled onto the floor. It felt as though every bone in my body had been broken. I felt pain, but it was as if the pain was being somehow softened. I knew I didn't experience the full brunt of the pain. I thought, how was it blocked? The second beast, with its razor-sharp claws and sharp protruding fins, then grabbed me from behind in a bear hug. As it pressed me into his chest, its sharp fins pierced my back. I felt like a rag doll in its clutches in comparison to its enormous size. He then reached around and plunged his claws into my chest and ripped them outward. My flesh hung from my body like ribbons as I fell again to the cell floor. These creatures had no respect for the human body, how remarkably it is made, even though he was in spirit, right? I have always taken care of myself by eating right, exercising, and staying in shape, but none of that mattered as my body was being destroyed right before my eyes. I knew that I could not escape this torture via death, for not even that was an option. Death penetrated me, but eluded me. The creatures seemed to derive pleasure in the pain and terror they inflicted upon me. Psalm 116.3 says, The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pain got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Oh, how I yearned for death, but there would be none. I pleaded for mercy, but they had none, absolutely no mercy. They seemed to be incapable of it. They were pure evil. No mercy existed in that place. Mercy is from God in heaven. The mental anguish I felt was indescribable. Asking for mercy from such evil only seemed to heighten their desire to torment me more.
I was conscious of the fact that there was no fluid coming from my wounds, no blood, no water, nothing. At this time, I did not stop to wonder why. I was extremely nauseous from the terrible foul stench coming from these creatures. It was absolutely disgusting, foul and rotten. It was by far the most putrid smells I have ever encountered. If you could take every rotten thing you can imagine, such as an open sewer, rotten meat, spoiled eggs, sour milk, dead rotting animal flesh and sulfur, and magnify it a thousand times, you might come close. This is not an exaggeration. It was actually extremely toxic, and that alone should have killed me. Instinctively, I just knew that some of the things I experienced were a thousand times worse than what would be possible on the Earth's surface. Things such as the odors mentioned, the strength of the demons, the loudness of the screams, the dryness, and the loneliness felt. Somehow I managed to move a bit and drag myself across the ground toward the barred door. I couldn't see, but I remembered the direction of the door that had been left open. I finally made it to the door and crawled out of the cell. Apparently, the creatures allowed me to crawl out without stopping me. As soon as I exited the cell, my first instinct was to get as far away as possible. Again, I desperately wanted to run. All I could think of was to get up onto my feet. However, every move to get up took great effort. I remember wondering, why is this so difficult? After tremendous exertion, or I was thoroughly exhausted, at the same time very frustrated at how hard simple movement had become. Although I was now outside the cell, I could not run, and fear continued to bind itself around me as a snake constricting its prey. I was horrified as I heard the screams of an untold multitude of people crying out in torment. It was absolutely deafening. The terror-filled screams seemed to go right through me, penetrating my very being. I once heard about a television special where a news reporter spent the night in a prison just to experience prison life firsthand. The prisoners were crying, moaning, and yelling all night long. He stated that he couldn't sleep because of all the noise. This place where I now stood was far, far worse. That's it, my friends. That's all. How's that for a holy beginning? Well, the only thing I can say, there's a card right now. There's, there's a card in our bathroom on a reader board that says, Repent! And reconcile yourself daily with the Creator. Repent daily, my friends. Repent, repent daily and reconcile yourself with our loving Creator because you're here on your free will. You actually, before you were born, volunteered to come here in case you didn't know. You had a pre-existence. We all did. We are souls on a journey throughout the universe, my friends. Going from one planet to another. That's reality. That's the truth. And we volunteered to come here. We knew it would be hard. This is a planet of the lowest category of evolution. Tell you the truth. That is the truth. 
It is a beautiful, wonderful world with such a variety of life. But it is also of a very, the lowest evolutionary category. Animals eat each other. There's a million ways to die. You can get struck by lightning. You can get killed in the flood like here in Texas recently. We had a flash flood that killed some people. A tornado can appear in different places around the world and kill people. Hurricanes kill people. Tsunamis, earthquakes. This is a very violent world. It can be, you know. Animals can eat you. You can get killed by poisonous snakes and spiders. Suffice it to say, life sometimes isn't easy. Not to mention starvation in certain parts of the world. Children are dying from starvation as we speak. So unfortunate. I wish I could do more. I do say prayers for them. I hope that God will feed the hungry. God, feed the hungry children of this earth, please. Of this earth, please. And I've given money before. I, I give money out to the homeless. I'm helping to support my family. You know, doing what I can. I don't have much money left over, really, after each payday. You know, I pay them all the bills in our house. I pay for three cars. I pay for the insurance. And living with my wife, stepdaughter, and three grandchildren, we have three dogs and one cat. But when I can, I, I help out, you know, to people. I'm generous, in other words. I hope you are, too. Well, my friends, that ends the second portion of what I was going to talk about. How am I doing on time? I've got time to sing a couple of songs for you. And today is the 16th of October. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to, for myself, maybe for you listening, I'm going to open up the celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ coming in just a few months, a couple of months. The 25th of December, so a little over two months away with this song, What Child Is This? I'm going to turn on my my audio here and sing that song for you. And then, I'll, like I said, I'll probably have time for one more. So let me get that going and I'll be right back. What child is this on Mary's lap? Guess what? My microphone just ran out. Hold on, I'm going to get a new one. Okay. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. This 
This is Christ, the King, who shepherd God and angels sing. Hey, say to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and eating? Good Christians give for sinners here the silent word is bleeding. Nail spear shall pierce him through the cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense gold and myrrh, come peasant king to own him, the king of kings, salvation brings, let loving heart enthrone him, raise, raise the song on high, the virgin sings, a lullaby. Joy, joy for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. My friends, I've got probably about three minutes. I'm going to try to sing another song. It's a kind of short song, a short song by the Classic Four from back in the 60s called Stormy. Are the sunshine, baby, wherever you smile. But I call you stormy today. All of the sudden, that old rain's coming down, and my world is cloudy and gray. You've gone away, oh stormy, oh stormy. Bring back that sunny day. Yesterday's love was like a warm summer breeze. 
But like the weather, you change. Nothing's a dreary baby, and it's windy and cold. And I stand alone in the rain, calling your name. Oh, so me. Bring back that sunny Thank you. Well, that's it. My friends out there. Hope you enjoyed the show. Look forward to the next show next week. You're welcome to attend. Miss Men, I wish all of you the best in the next week. Take good care of yourselves. I love you. And may the creator of the universe bless us. Everybody, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.